Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 171 of the podcast. It's the 10th of April, 2019, as I record this intro. This week, I've put together another compilation episode, and this time I went with a topic rather than a particular question, the topic of learning to read naturally. We're going to listen to 10 different guests as they share their experience with unschooling and learning to read. I really love how hearing their stories in this new context, side by side, may well spark helpful new connections and insights for you. Enjoy! (laughs) As a personal update, I want to give you a heads up that enrollment for the Childhood Redefined Online Unschooling Summit closes at midnight this Sunday. That's April 14th. And also that we won't be opening the doors again until October. And that's because although the content is completely self-paced, we want to be able to focus our attention on supporting the new participants as they work through it, which is the purpose of our private Facebook community, to facilitate conversations with us and the other participants as you process what you're learning and navigate ways to weave it into your family's lives. In one of our later sessions in the summit, aptly titled The View from the Summit, Anne, Anna, and I dive deep into what life looks like from here. See, reaching the summit is not an end point. It's really more of a vantage point. It's the place where you can see the big picture, not get caught up in the chatter and the noise below, but embrace what is and cultivate your best life. And it turns out, redefining childhood for our children actually starts with redefining ourselves. And that means more inner reflection, more deliberate living, more self-awareness, more true connection. That's one of the many big paradigm shifts we make on our unschooling journey. With the summit, we are so excited to walk alongside you, sharing our stories and insights, helping to light your path as you do the deep personal work that is necessary to peel away the layers of conventional expectations that are weighing on you. And from there, unschooling can really begin to blossom. If you'd like to learn more, you'll find the link in the show notes, or you can go to childhoodredefined.com and follow the link there. I'm really excited to connect with some of you inside, but don't forget that the doors close on Sunday. And now let's dive into the magic of learning to read naturally. This week, we have a compilation episode with a twist. Instead of choosing one question and collecting answers from different guests, I chose a topic and have curated conversations with various guests when that topic arose. Sometimes it was from a direct question, and sometimes it just came up vicariously in our conversation. I love seeing where our conversations flow. So for this episode, the topic is learning to read. It can be a big stumbling block for those learning about unschooling. It can be so hard to imagine how a child can learn to read without lessons. Yet, unschooling parents have seen it in action over and over and over. 
So let's listen in. Our first clip is from episode 14 with Joyce Federal. Joyce is a wizard at calmly and clearly answering people's unschooling questions. Here, she talks about how parents can help a child learn to read. Schools have been, become freakishly obsessed with kids and reading as though learning to read were barely doable, even with experts guiding it. <laughs> and they're making parents freakishly frightened. Learning to read is hard in school. Out of school, learning to read is as natural and effortless as learning to speak. It's easier, in fact. When kids learn to speak, they don't even know what language is. Yet in three or four years, they've mastered it. After that, it's just refining the details. With learning to read, it's almost a matter of matching spoken language to the squiggles on the page. At least a child has the bulk of language down before they start reading. But learning to read involves decoding. There's some step or steps the brain needs to do to match spoken words with written. So how a child does that is different for each child. Some build from letters up, some build from whole words down. But whatever the process, it's like learning to walk. Parents create the environment. Kids figure out how to make their legs work. Also, like with walking, reading doesn't happen until the brain is developmentally ready. Once the brain is ready... Like with walking, kids can read. Some kids report it's like a light switched on. For most, though, it's slower. But either way, all unschooled kids learn to read in a supportive, print-rich environment. And the most important aspect of learning to read is having positive experiences with what reading is for. Reading is like a doorway. School focuses on the doorway. But the doorway isn't all that interesting. It's all the things that lay beyond the door that are interesting. If kids are exposed to what's interesting beyond the door, they'll want to go through. The most helpful thing a parent can do to support a child learning to read is positive experiences with words. Reading books is important, but just as important is stopping when the child is done. And if the purpose is learning to read, then all words are important, not just the ones in the books. The McDonald's sign is important. Game instructions are important. Anything the child wants to tap into that's printed is important. Also, anything connected to reading. All forms of storytelling, movies, TV, puppet shows, plays, storytellers. Connect kids with what reading unlocks rather than focusing on the key. Our next clip is from episode 23 with Ann Omen. This episode is actually titled Learning to Read in Their Own Time and is focused on reading, so you definitely might want to check it out as well. But I wanted to share this gem about school's need for children to learn to read early. School, and by extension society, is very laser focused on children learning to read as early as possible. So as a rural library di director and unschooling parent, I would love to hear your perspective on how you've seen these reading expectations play out. Okay. Well, first of all, I love how you s said rural library director. It's like the hardest three words to say together. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, when we have any expectations on our children and we don't trust in them to live and learn in their own way and in their own time, you know, they can feel that. So here we are, an entire society, which does include school and libraries, where I work, collectively holding this expectation about children reading early and often 
and not only holding that expectation, but creating programs and incentives and rewards and punishments around this expectation. And if we back up to see why society does this, it's really obvious. We talked about this before. Schools need children to read. A quick Google search will tell us that children reading early has a direct correlation to academic success. Of course it does. You know, how can teachers teach children what they're expected to be teaching without children being able to read? The only method a classroom has of expanding a child's world is by way of reading. And there's lots of ways they they do that. Books, handouts, tests. What's written on the chalkboard? Do they use chalkboards now still? I don't know. (laughs) And some kind of board. (laughs) Some kind of board. Um, You know, it's all the written word. And so, yeah, we see how this equation is necessary. The equation being the expectation of early reading equals academic success. And the cool thing is that we, as unschooling parents, get to remove the academic success part of the equation because that's never our focus. Our focus is on the child and the whole child. So when you remove academic success, there's not an equation anymore. So the expectation of early reading falls away as well. And now we can allow the child to learn and grow and perceive the world in their own way, in their own time, and offer them the greatest gift we can offer unschooled children, which is trust. Next up is a wonderful clip from Lauren Siever in episode 36. Let's hear her answer when I asked what her biggest concern behind her family's move from school to unschooling was. Um, What was your biggest concern that drove your choice to move to unschooling? Yes, well, so like I said, River was not wanting to go to school, it, like it, it yeah. changed running it into being like, oh, I don't want to get up. And um, the biggest issue I felt um, was reading. Like, um, you know, the school he was going to was really friendly and alternative. And, you know, they have different positive names for things. But he was basically in a remedial reading group. And even though um, the teachers are kind and gentle, he still had reading homework and he felt this pressure to learn to read. And he totally like, he felt so much pressure way before he was ready. And I knew this, I was like, wait, he's, why are you pushing this? He will learn to read when he's ready. Like, we don't need to do this homework. We don't need to do any of this stuff. It's, it's not helpful. And, um, I'm a passionate book lover. And I knew that if he was just left alone to explore words and books and text and, and whatever, in whatever way interested him, um, that reading would come naturally, you know, whenever he was ready. And I was really sad thinking that this kid who, you know, is so excited and awesome and hilarious and talented and enthusiastic was having a possibility for a future love of learning squashed out of him by this experience. Experience, this emphasis um, school was placing on a skill he wasn't ready to learn. And um, I was heartbroken just knowing he was feeling bad about himself, um, thinking like, oh, I'm like feeling bad about his own abilities around the idea of reading. Because uh, when he would talk to me about it, the message he was receiving was basically, you should be able to read these books right now and you're a failure because you can't. Like, this is really how I believe he felt. And um, when I think back to it, I'm like, how did I let him keep going to school? I can't believe this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, like, awful. And I know, and 
um, they were just trying to help them, but they're a school and they're like, you need to learn this by this time. And you know, that's just how they think. And um, so anyway, like I, so this idea that River was thinking, he would even say, I'm bad at reading. I hate reading. And it was just like, oh, this is awful. It, that was my number one reason. Um, and then, you know, the other real reason was that I felt like you're supposed to be doing this all along. And then this moment in our lives opened up where it was like, okay, oh, hey, now this is a real feasible time, like a real possible time for us to do this. Let's do it. So that was, yeah. I mean, that was a huge motivator in that. Yeah. It's like the, you know, it was, it's, it was something in the back of your mind always, and you're paying attention <laughs> and you saw when those possibilities started to yes. come together. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And what's so interesting too, is that whole, that whole reading piece that was very much uh, Lissy's experience at school too. When, when she came home, it was all, I hate reading. I don't want to read. I can't read, you know, all those messages. And we, you know, just made sure to totally, totally back off. And it took about a year for her to, you know, move through, move past all those messages that she had gotten. Cause she was, she was in second grade when she left too. It's the same, same as River. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's amazing. It's, it's like if, if we could just, as a culture, just look at people and just let them be like, they're going to get it. They're going to, you just got to leave them alone. And like, <laughs> it like adds all this baggage on this unnecessary baggage. And it's so like, Oh, detrimental. Now let's listen in to Zakia Ismail as she ties together decolonizing education, unschooling and reading in episode 75. I love the insight she shares near the end, something she's learned through experience. You have also created a Facebook group called Unschooling as a Tool for Decolonization. And I was hoping you could explain what you mean by that and how unschooling can be that powerful option when we're exploring decolonizing education. Okay. So, you know, decolonizing education is a really huge topic of discussion amongst everybody in South Africa. Um, we've had so much of uh, student protests, etc., around that issue. Um, for me, I think it, we'd, uh, we'd started this discussion bef- earlier because um, I think for me, how we learn that we focus on text and reading and writing, that to me is a very colonial thing as well. Or I just later discovered how colonial it is. I mean, I was also really concerned primarily about whether my son could read and whether they liked books and they liked reading. And that actually, that's one way of learning and one way of interacting with the world or in a way of interacting with other people's imaginations. But it's just one way, and that's something that we don't. I don't. That's that comes from a very col- our colonial education. Is that there's so many other ways of knowing, so many ways of being, so many, and then there's so many stories. So we've prioritized, you know, one small subset of knowledge which really speaks to a very capitalist kind of power. As a and 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 in the meantime, other way, other knowledge systems, indigenous knowledge systems, the diversity that comes with the cultural knowledge of of communities is dying because of our emphasis on schooling. And um, why I think unschooling itself is is a, a potentially powerful tool for decolonization is that 
because it also can't be can you can also not use it i mean there's lots of unschoolers that come into the group worried that their children don't like reading and you know and look for ways to help them to do that so as as an as an unschooler we could also say okay all knowledge is fair game let's not prioritize only western knowledge let's not prioritize only knowing from reading um whereas you know if if for you if dance is the way you want to express yourself then that's how you do it and if you and storytelling is um you know it's a big part of african culture and indian culture i later discovered on my trip i discovered so why don't we um allow those those kinds of activities to come into our world if our children like it if we like it nothing to be imposed on but they this we're not privileging some ways of knowing some bits of information over others so when we talk about the freedom then to choose the the freedom to choose the the what's the word i'm looking for what the options we can choose from is all options so not just looking at you know one version of history but looking at all the kinds of histories that could be there um asking questions like why is the history uh when we talk about the history of let's say germany and 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 the holocaust why is there no mention of the social movements that actually opposed it I mean we've silenced what people's struggles were in in India as well you know going to all the castles we heard about the kings and what they did etc but there's no history of how did the people relate to it and so we can ask so we can say well to us as unschoolers history is about all the social movements and how people related to events around them and we're really not interested in um or we're not going to focus or prioritize what the leadership was doing so we can you know we can reclaim how we want to understand the world and we can take it away from colonial power and create i mean we can't go back to what there was because we've disconnected from it but we can create something that's new and meaningful and something that's for a better world and i think that's the important thing is that that in everything we do it has to look like we're working towards a better world Yeah, I really really love that perspective on it. And and the idea that we can um not just revisit, you know, our assumptions about learning, etc., but our really deeply held um assumptions and, and you know, and the more superficial things that that we've learned, like deeply held assumptions about how human beings can be in community with each other. And as you say, the the social movements and and how we relate to one another, but you know, on that deeper level than just kind of our day-to-day because we are so caught up in that day-to-day um engagement. but unschooling really does allow us to step back and and look deeper at it doesn't it yeah i mean it's a bl- it, that's the blank slate say okay what is it what do you want to do what do you want to know what what kind of a world yeah. do you want to live yeah we can explore all that it's a deeper deeper blank slate and i loved um when you mentioned the lens of reading and writing as being you know the one way to or or the best way quote to yeah. learn things and to um communicate between people um because you know we talk about how you know people 
kids are going to learn that because it's so prevalent in our society. But yeah. I super appreciated, um, you know, certainly with Michael, my youngest, because when he left school, he wasn't reading at all. And, and in junior kindergarten, they hadn't really started that a lot. Um, and I got to see for the, you know, the next eight years or whatever, um, I don't know, was he 10, 11-ish when he was uh, reading fluently? I, I mean, that's another thing. They they define reading as it looks in the real world, right? As in, to them, reading is, you know, picking up a Harry Potter book and, and reading it through. It's not, you know, yeah. I'm reading because I'm doing early readers. There, there isn't that world. Um, but to see his mind at work and how that, not ha yet having that, um, fluent reading skill did not get in his way at all. I I got to see so many different ways of learning things and sharing things and communicating things. It wasn't a hindrance in his life at all, and that was that was a really interesting thing for me to see. Yeah, that is interesting. It's um, like it's actually amazing how much they can do without being able to read or read fluently, how they figure things out, use other patterns of knowing. I mean, I, I saw this with my daughter as well. She was about five when she said, you know, I don't think I'm going to learn how to read. I don't want to. And I just said, you know, there's four other readers here, so you're welcome to ask us if you need us. And, you know, with, if my elders had said that, I would have said, oh, this unschooling doesn't work. But with <laughs> her, I... I knew that there's no way she can avoid the reading. It's going to come to her whether she wants it or not. And it did. She doesn't, she doesn't like reading for fun. She, I mean, she said to me, oh, I'd read if I tried reading to her after the second paragraph. She'd say, you know, mom, I'd really prefer my own imagination. So mm. what is that to say? No, this guy's imagination is better because a publisher, you know, published it so I left it and I was it was really a good thing to leave because now she just writes very deeply very imaginatively um so a lot of her her expression comes from writing rather than reading um and she says she'd wish she could do art but she just she, she says I've accepted I'm not good at it so I'm going to move on and no judgment she's just accepted this is who I am defined it and I was grateful that I had managed to let go of my beliefs and not worry about that she has to read and has to enjoy it and that's the only way to explore the world etc. In this clip from episode 77, Joe Watt shares her thoughts about how we don't need to rush learning to read. You wrote a post a few months ago uh, that was all about how we don't need to rush reading. I was hoping you could share a bit about your journey through that conventional push for kids to read earlier and earlier. Yeah, I think that was me. I mean, intellectually, I was a teacher and I knew that it, it wasn't good to get three and four year olds sitting in the classroom and getting them to copy down things. But when it's your own children, I really felt that it was important that they that they got it early, everything, not just reading. Um, I think I've been achievement for me was always something really important and it was something that you got a prize for or a certificate and that was success is that you got this thing and you had it and you were told well done for it um, and actually I think if the girls had have been more compliant we may well have 
carried on just being really structured and pushy. Um, luckily, they they did not, and they wanted to do things their own way. So I was the like we were saying before, I was the one who had to change. Um, and the reading was part of that. Like they they're into a lot of reading related things, and we used to read books every day. We don't always now. Um, we do it whenever they need to, but there are other reading activities around. Um, and as they get older, I thought that I'd be more worried about it, but um, I'm not. As is reading and in other things, the, the more time goes on, the better I feel about it. I can see their language prog- progressing and their storytelling, and they can read pictures and decipher meaning, and they make inferences. Um, and they ask me to read things if they need it for whatever it is that they're doing, or they figure out what it says by the context. Um, and all these wonderful, brilliant skills that are part of literacy, and the rest of it will come whenever, whenever. Um, and it helps as well when I don't compare to other kids, which I used to do a lot. We were around the, the toddler groups, and and I used to say, oh, they, they can do this, and they can do this, but we can't do that, but we can do this other thing. And, and now that they're not part of the system, it's easier not to do that, and that makes me feel better um, about it all. But I think always with re- with reading it's it just seems to be that unless you have a particular desire to want to do it from early on it's not helpful to try and make it happen you just it, it doesn't help anybody and it can be destructive in a lot of ways yeah i think that destructive piece it can really get in the way and i i remember something that was really eye opening for me as my kids were reading later um was the realization, you know, because you think reading is so important and, and you know, they, they need to be able to read to do just about anything, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and yet I would, uh, what I started to see when I was paying attention was that it, that lack of reading was not actually impacting them. You know, I mean, I would, I would read and help out as, as needed, but it was so much less needed than I thought it would be. Yeah. I didn't have to trail along behind them 24 hours a day reading yeah, everything that they came into. all the words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so yeah. many other ways to interact with the world. That was such an eye-opening piece for me, that there were all these other skills that they were developing that helped them get along in the world. And it was because, you know, in the classroom, in the school, reading is a super important skill, something that they need all the time, right? Yeah. For yeah. for reading textbooks, worksheets, writing down, you know, they're doing their worksheets, writing tests and everything. But yeah. outside of that environment, it was um not as important a skill and they had the room to develop so many other different skills too, don't they? Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. I think it is it does become necessary in schools because everything is based on what you've done previously mm-hmm. and it goes up in that kind of structured layered way and if you haven't grasped the reading bit then you can't go on to the next bit but so many kids I would get in secondary I was a high school teacher would come and they would be able to read the words but they wouldn't be able to read for meaning at all and that that surely is the thing that we're aiming for there's no point being able to read words if you can't then figure out you know what it means or try and try and gather something interesting from it or even useful or necessary um 
but because they'd been through this path and it was difficult for them that they had to concentrate so hard on knowing that these letters make up this word that they did their brains didn't have the opportunity to do anything with that other than spell out and sound out the word and this was when they were 11 and 12 and and at that point in the school system it was it was really hard for them to continue to keep up and um, without a lot of additional support which we you know obviously tried to give but it tends to make people get further and further behind this arbitrary um, place that people ought to be at. That's such a great point because that lack of reading does impact them in every single subject, right? Because mm-hmm. that is the communication tool yeah. for every subject. Whereas, you know, outside of the classroom, you know, geography can be playing with playing with the globe and the atlas and conversations and watching videos and and the reading doesn't have to affect um yeah, so all many of the subjects. other learning that yeah. you do yeah mm. that's so interesting this next clip is from episode 105 i love how nick hess describes learning to read naturally as truly magical i think that's the whole magical thing of homeschooling mm-hmm. is watching a child learn how to read naturally and from being inspired by something they love. And uh, with my older, Toontown was a big thing a couple of years ago. And uh, they had subscriptions, but you had to chat with other people in the group. And so they asked, hey, we, we want to read. So it's truly magical seeing them, the desire to learn. Like most people like, well, your kid is 10, and this is not a read yet. But it seems about that is the age when all my children really had a desire. Like we never forced them. We just let it flow and to see that flow of reading and see it naturally and from a passion, from their desires to learn how to read. And I just, or my daughter seems like she could write better than I can. And she had never, never kind of any kind of former curriculum on uh-huh. writing. And I see them write and I see them talk, like, especially my oldest and communicate with other people. And it's like, wow, can you teach me? <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's I know. So yeah, you never think like they they're so focused um you know within the curriculum in the schools to um teach the skill, right? Um mm. because this is a skill that you'll need. But when you have the patience to follow that flow, the need for those skills comes up in life naturally, doesn't it? And to see them hit that and so you know that's picking up that skill. It's not about the skill. It's about the need, satisfying the need, right? Yeah. And they'll yeah. pick up that skill along the way. Oh, definitely. And it's just, when you let it flow naturally and just like all the things like math and and all the little things, like I know, I understand there's some children that pick up reading early. Mm-hmm. There's some children that want to read earlier, but when you see it and you let it flow, everything in life, I, I mean, for thousands of years, humans learn naturally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when you let it happen and you just you don't get there and you don't force it and you're just there helping them. And I, I think that's the important part is you have to be there. I mean, me and my wife are constantly with our children. You have to be there to help them and guide them and answer their questions or help them spell something. Or And when you just, when you're there and you're just part of your children's lives and you just see it all, you come together and it's truly a magical lifestyle that we live. It's just, mm-hmm. it's amazing. The- yeah. yeah, and that's such a good point, too, because, you know, if they're um, 
like you say, when you're with them, you know, if they're not at a place where, say, reading is going to come together for them, we're there to help them to read for them, you know, so that you don't hold a skill hostage on them. You know what I mean? If you want that, you, you got to figure out how to read. <laughs> Actually, we had a problem like that. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, we had a family member that came over and uh, he's, he has a college degree and uh, he's into engineering. He bought my son all these different engineering things. And um, he told him, this was a couple of years ago, he said, I'm not going to teach you because you can't read. And we were like flabbergasted. It was like, you missed a moment <laughs> with this child that you could share all your knowledge with, but you told him that because he can't read, you're not going to help him. And it was just amazing how people think this way. It's like he could have probably learned way more by you sitting there explaining him the things later in life, applying it to something that he was excited about in his life than not choosing to, to connect with him. It was just amazing. It was just crazy to us to think that somebody would say that. Next, we have a great clip from Sylvia Woodman in episode 109, sharing her story around coming to deeply understand that not every kid is going to do everything at the same age. And, and another thing that, that really has helped me um, in terms of, of de-schooling is being flexible, understanding that not, you know, that... that um, not every kid is going to do everything at the same age. Not every kid is going to do everything in the same order. Mm-hmm. Um, something that really I was not expecting that happened was um, Harry, who is 11 now, learned to read before Gabriella did. Mm-hmm. Gabriella really didn't start reading fluently and, you know, until she was around 12. And Harry was really reading at like eight or nine and it happened gradually and there was a, a long period of time where they could read some you know and they could mm-hmm. work their way through things they could pass kind of thing you know what I mean but like yeah. in terms of really being able to pick up anything you know a newspaper any book on any topic whether they were familiar with it or not and just open it up and read that that took a long. That took much longer than I than I thought because when you're learning in a school setting, they tailor what they offer you to read to match up with approximately where your your skills and abilities are. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have that framework, you know, obviously some things are going to be easier for kids to read, and other things are going to be more difficult. And what I also didn't understand is that. What they were able to read was not connected to what they were able to understand. They could understand, they had very big vocabularies, they could understand very sophisticated, com, uh, you know, um, context, they could understand very uh, sophisticated con- content, um, but they um, weren't necessarily going to go to a reference book to learn more. They had other they had other resources available to them. They had podcasts. They had YouTube. They had um, voice to text if they wanted to communicate with people. They, you know, like they they had lots of other ways of getting to the same place. Yeah, that's one of my most favorite little tidbits, right? That that revelation because my youngest too was older when he started reading and it did not get in his way at all. You know, everybody's, oh, well, how are they going to learn if they can't read? How are they going to learn if they can't read? 
That is just one of many ways to absorb and engage with information, right? Right. I mean, right. it's it's the key way at school, but outside of school, there's so many other ways. It doesn't, not reading, uh, you know, fluently uh, reference books, that, that does not get in their way of living and learning at all, does it? Right. No, no, there's so many, you know, and, and they, it, there got to be a point where they were learning things and I didn't know where they were finding out about it. Like, <laughs> you know, like Harry made some comment about the, the hyperinflation that took place in Germany, you know, between <laughs> World War I and World War II. And I'm like, wait, what, how do you know about that? In this clip from episode 116, Summer Jean, a grown unschooler, shares how she answers when she's asked, how did you learn how to read? So I'm They're sorry, I, totally got, really. I got off of your off of your question. I tend to go out on tangents like that. But Oh, um, that's okay. I love that. What are some <laughs> of the other common common questions I get? Well, how do you learn? That's the other big question. Well, how did you learn how to read? That's my favorite one. How did you learn how to read? I get that one ah, a lot, you know. Um Do you? Yeah. Like, oh well, I was unschooled and people are like, Oh, well, what's that? And I'll be like, Well, you know, we we um, didn't go to school. I was, it's like homeschool. I was like, well, you know, I mean, that's the closest thing to be able to compare it to. But we didn't actually do school at home. We we didn't have any required academia. Um, we weren't forced to learn anything at all. We were provided with means if we showed an interest. Um, but there was never any any force or requirement. So people go, well, how did you learn how to read? Like mm-hmm. as if you can't learn how to read unless you're forced. And, um, and, and so I like that question because being from a family of four, we each read in different ways at different ages. So it's not like there's one way to learn. It's not Mm -hmm. like there's one way to learn how to do this thing. It's not like, oh, in order to learn how to read, you have to do it like this. It's, it's not like that. It's kind of like when you learn how to talk. Um, if we were to teach, I think I read this recently too. Someone had a really great quote and it was, um, if you, taught kids how to speak the way we teach them how to do math or how to write you would you would sit them down and you would teach them certain words only certain words and in a certain order for a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. and that's ridiculous because every child learns how to speak a little differently you know they learn different they learn different words first and um and they learn at different speeds and they learn um, at different ages. Some kids will just start talking one day. Some kids will do a, a word here, a word there, and they'll, they'll build up to it. Um, or some of them are like my little brother who really shockingly at like, what was he, eight? He was really little. He was only like a year old. Could say anything that you asked him to say. You just point to something mm-hmm. and he would say it one day only, only for one day. And then he stopped and wouldn't speak again for months. And then he just started talking. <laughs> wow. So, you know, everybody's different. So how did you learn yeah. how to read? And it's like, I just think that's hilarious because they think that if you don't, if you don't require a child to learn how to read, they won't learn how to read. Like, are you serious? Like what 18 year old <laughs> is going to want to walk around not knowing how to read a restaurant menu? Do you think they're going to lean over and ask their mom to read everything for them? What 18 years old, who's going to do that? You know, or what kid is yeah. going to want to go get their driver's license? And you have to know how to read to get your driver's license. 
So <laughs> I'm assuming that's going to happen sometime before that age. <laughs> um, but there's so many things. And for me, I can, uh, I think, well, I can start with my oldest brother. My oldest brother had all the pressure from, from the family members. Um, so he was a, a little bit timid with things like that mm-hmm. because people were constantly asking him and trying to get him to read things all the time, which I think the huge mistakes people make is people are like, what does that say? And how do you say that? And what is that letter and stuff? And it's like, that's, that doesn't really help. That's not helpful. That makes them self-conscious and it puts them on the spot yeah. and it, you're treating them like a performing monkey. And, um, I I think that's what happened with my brother and he froze up a little. So he didn't learn how to read until he was a little bit older and he struggled with it a little bit. He's also more of the work with your hands type. He's a sailor and he works on, he sails, works on boats. So he's not as much the, um, the analytical mind, the academic mind. It's just not his thing. Mine either. But my second oldest brother, Clay, He's the brainiac of the family. I mean, he like worked for Apple computers and he's like this super computer nerd genius. And, mm-hmm. um, he learned how to read at like, I remember he must've been like three or four. And he sat my mom down and made her teach him. She said, I couldn't get up. It was like hours. We sat on the couch. He was like, we're learning how to, I'm learning how to read today. No. Oh, wow. And this is the book. Yeah. He want, It was because of a certain book and he wanted to learn how to read this book. And he was, and he asked her and she sat down with him and he, and he went through the whole entire book until he could read every word. And that was it. And so by the time he was mm-hmm. like five, six years old, he was like reading um, chapter books. Um, and then me, I was just far too busy with other interesting things. I was interested in other things. I wanted to be in nature. I was really into building fairy houses and sewing doll clothes and, you know, um, I was really in my own imagination. I had a very, I still do have a very rich, vivid imagination. And, um, that's where I spent a lot of my childhood and in, in nature and in my imagination. And, um, I think I just wasn't really super interested. I also had a tendency to, to not want to do something I wasn't good at right away. Mm-hmm. If I can't get it right the first time, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did that with, um, with reading. I think I learned, you know, sounds of letters when I was pretty young and then I like tried to read something and I was like, ah, you know, this is, this is silly. And I'm going outside. Um, <laughs> I got frustrated. And then I think when I, it wasn't until I was like 11, I read Jonathan Livingston Siegel for some reason. I don't know why I was bored probably. But we spent a lot of time in libraries as a kid. My mom's super into books. There was always books around. She always read to us out loud. Um, Mm -hmm. And and we spent a lot of time in libraries. But I wasn't actually really interested in reading until I was like 11. And then Harry Potter came out. (gasps) And, um, And me being the super fantasy lover, and I didn't realize that reading was like this window into this whole world of imagination that was like beyond magical. So I had a friend, I had a pen pal for a while and she was like, have you read Harry Potter? And, um, and so that's what got me started. And Mm -hmm. I could read. It wasn't that I couldn't read. I could, but I didn't read enough to be proficient. I wasn't interested in it enough to be like, you know, just read. Um, but my little brother started reading Harry Potter and that was it. I was like, uh, uh, he's not going to be reading these big books before me. (laughs) I'm older. (laughs) 
And then I devoured them. I read all the Harry Potter books and then I read every fantasy novel I could get my hands on. And I read six hours a day. I read incessantly. I had a book in my hand all the time. My mom had to tell me to like, honey, put the book down and go outside. You're getting weird. <laughs> like I read, I read too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that there is such a thing, but you know, like yeah. <laughs> my mom could, was like, honey, you need to move your body. Like you're not going to be able to sleep. You're getting like, um, so she had to help me a little bit with that, <laughs> um, which is good. It was great. And I still, I still love reading. I'm busy nowadays a lot to get any reading done, but, um, yeah, that's, so that's our story. Our next clip is from episode 118, where Nicole Verde and I talk about how different learning to read looks outside of school. So how about unschooling and reading? Because outside of school, learning to read can look really different, can't it? It definitely does. (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of that is because, you know, in school, um, reading education is is such a step-by-step linear mm-hmm. process. You feed children small bites of information and you accept, expect them to incorporate that um, into their own reading ability. But if you're stepping back from sort of expecting it to look the same for each child, it can be so wildly varied how they come to the understanding of reading for themselves. And, um, So my first child, Camille, when she was three and a half, she pretty much started reading. Like, I read to her all the time. I was available to, you know, for her whenever she wanted to, what's that word say? And why does it say that? And what do these letter sounds make? But I never um, had the intention that I was teaching her to read. Like, it was just part of our being together. Mm -hmm. And one day she picked up the book. And just started reading where I had left off. (laughs) Totally surprised and amazed. And this was a process that she had directed and um, internalized and then just sort of brought forth one day. So that (laughs) was really unusual and really surprising to me. But um, so it was fun to see them own that process for themselves. Um, But it did not go that way for all of my children. And um, so Sylvia, who's now 11, um, was not interested in reading for many years. Not only, you know, not learning at three and a half, but um, seven, eight, still not really being that interested. Um, So we read together all the time, um, did the same types of activities that I'd done with Camille um, but Sylvia was such a, a kinetic child and, and just loved to hear stories and, um, act them out and be expressive, but the sitting down, you know, eyes on the paper, making all of those word sounds come together to make sense wasn't her focus. Um, so now, um, at the age of 11, she had, she had kind of gone from at one point not not only not reading, but not wanting to read, feeling frustrated by that to um, 
to just seeing it as a useful tool in her life. You know, she loves to cook. So if she is able to look at a cookbook or a recipe online and, and figure out how to do that on her own and to be able to be independent in that way, that was really meaningful to her. So, so she took the time to sort that out, you know, um, and looking back, we did recognize that she had a lot of you know, dyslexic traits that probably made it a slower path for her. Um, but it was not, um, it was not a worse path. It was, she was still learning so much every day and getting so much information and um, experimenting and observing and, and learning through just a different pathway. Like reading's not the only source of that information for her for so long. So it was, and Ayla's still somewhere in that process. She's seven, um, you know, knows all the letter sounds, can can read words, but doesn't spend a lot of time, you know, with the nose in a book. Um, so for each of them to have their own pathway to mastering that and finding its usefulness um, while also learning so much all the time without it having to be just from that method, um, I think has been really empowering to each of them in their own way. Yeah, I really love that. I love your point that it's not a worse path, you know, just because it takes longer, longer before they are interested or gain the skill, however you want to say it until they're reading. But it's, I mean, that that was my experience as well. And that was something that I really loved. Once the kids are out of school and away from, you know, that curriculum equal march, you know, everybody marching and learning the same thing. Right. uh, Supposedly at the same like on the same path with the same timing like this in this year and and being judged when they're not once you're away from that. You discover, like you were saying, the the wide differences in different children and, and you come to embrace that, right? Some are reading at three and a half and and some at 11 and neither one is a worse path. Each path is is the best for each of them, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, <laughs> I love that so much because it it's outside of school. Not reading is not a disadvantage to learning at all. Right. Because because if you're not reading yet, you have other skills that are your forte and you're absorbing and learning through those pathways. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And Sylvia is has a really strong vocabulary, is my most interested in storytelling child. Um and so pretty much devoured audiobooks <laughs> in yeah. the way that a lot of other children would have been reading books. But the thing is, is it freed her up to be able to move around while she was listening to them and to think about even now she talks about how an author structured a sentence or was able to describe um an action in a way that was unexpected. And she loves those moments in storytelling. Like, oh. And didn't need to, you know, just be sitting eyes on paper in order to get that. So oh, that that reminded me because <laughs> Lissy too, before um, she was reading, went through um, 
a, a huge time when she was listening to audiobooks. She was listening to the Harry Potter audiobooks over and over, like <laughs> as much of the series that was there. And she was at the same time she was making those pillows, <laughs> right? Doing a lot of sewing. She had uh, little like vignettes or scenes from the books set up around her room. Like she was doing a million other things at the same time that she was constantly listening to them. So, you know, for her, that was a vital and fun and fascinating part of her journey, right? Absolutely. It's so fun to, it's so fun to just watch them and see how things develop, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. And our final clip comes from my conversation with Alex Peace in episode 162. Here's how reading came up when I asked about stretching her comfort zones. And was there a time when one of your kids' interests really stretched your comfort zone? And I was wondering how you moved through that. <clears throat> well, I don't know. This is what came up for me. It's not exactly an interest, but mm-hmm. um, a couple of my kids read very late. And so it was something that really stretched me mm-hmm. as an unschooling parent. Um, for a while, I, I, I sort of did a lot of reading about, um, you know, reading difficulties, particularly online, hearing other parents' anecdotes. And then, uh, and then at some point, there were two things happened. Um, one was that I was flipping through a book about dyslexia or something, and it was an academic book. It was, you know, studies of various things, and I sort of went straight to the, you know, what's the biggest problem? And uh, it said, I, um, the, the biggest problem is how people feel about uh, their reading issues. It can become a, an emotional problem. And I was like, right, so, okay. We don't have to go there. That's, <laughs> That's under control. And the second thing that happened is uh, at one point I said to one of my kids something like, uh, it doesn't look like you're learning to read like I learned how to read, but I'm sure there's lots of other people that are learning to read how you do. Do you want me to ask, you know, some of the folk online and get you some hints? And she said, no, it'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out when I need to. And I went, right. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> so... I then pretty purposefully didn't did not look any further into reading difficulties. I worked really hard at creating an atmosphere of, well, this is the way it is and you need me to read to you, so that's the way it is. We're going to read to you. We're going to read for you and maintaining that this is just your way. Normal. Yeah. This is yeah. <laughs> and um so it became, it was kind of cute. Like if we were out with a, a big group of homeschooling kids and people, everybody just read out loud, like any of the things, you know, it, it was, it just wasn't a big deal in our group. Um, and, and, but I did have to kind of really, um, there was some, there was some issue with some family members. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just really set up some, some boundaries like, okay, um, and I, I, what I felt like was I kept the world at bay until they learned to read on their own. And uh, so that, that was, I think, yeah, yeah, that was so one of the things that I felt that good about. Buffer, you kept that. Yeah. yeah Buffer's probably the best word for it, right? You kept yeah. them in yeah. situations where it wasn't a big deal and where yeah. it would have been a big deal 
like back to that research where the emotional piece is like the hardest piece. Um, yeah. Feeling bad about yourself. Yeah. So that's what you, you took that and focused on that and made, just didn't go into those situations, right? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and the other, the, the byproduct of it was that um, I got to read to my kids for years. Yeah. Which is fabulous. <laughs> so we read a lot of books out loud. So that was fun. That's awesome. And that's a wrap. No matter where your kids are on their road to reading, I hope you found this collection of clips around unschooling and learning to read interesting. And I wish you and your family all the best on the journey. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to pick up your free copy of my book, What is Unschooling? In it, we'll explore some of the common questions people have when they first hear about unschooling, like how will my child learn? How do I know they're learning? What is de-schooling? And how do I get started? It's also available at many online ebook retailers. And if you'd like to connect online, you can find me on Facebook at Living Joyfully. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.